the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter number 4 this morning. This is where I was planning to go last week, and then the Lord changed direction. Um, we're going to get back into it today, uh, Acts chapter number 4, and uh, we'll read verses 5 through verse number 12. And uh, as you're finding that, if you're physically able to, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, out of respect and reverence for His Word. Acts chapter 4, verse number 5 says this, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful for your name. And Lord, as we look at your name today, I pray, Lord, you would open our hearts. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would guide us all into truth. And Lord, I pray that as you speak to our hearts, I pray that you'd be pleased with not only what's presented, but most of all, our response to what is presented. Help us, Lord, to be not just good hearers, but then help us to be good doers of what we hear. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, several weeks ago, we began our series called Must of the Master, and we've looked at a lot of different instances in which either Jesus said the word must or someone else used the word must in reference to Jesus. Uh, well, today we come to verse number 12 where it says regarding the name of Christ, whereby we must be saved. And I felt like we can't miss this one. This is, this is a big verse. Uh, we've got to hit this one. And so we're going to do that. Now, names are important. Very important. I remember when we were coming up with our children's names, uh, we had what all parents do. You know, we were Googling names. You know, we were, uh, we had some baby books, I think, uh, baby name books. Uh, and they're just like the popular ones. And then all the ones that start with A. And then you go down through those and try to find one that would fit the one that you want to name your kid. And uh, we decided, you know what, we didn't, we threw those out and said, we're going to do, we're going to decide our children's names based on two important criteria. And I've shared this before, but uh, the first criteria was we wanted them to have a Bible name. We felt like they needed to be a Bible name, but not just any Bible name. They needed to be a good character in the Bible. I mean, we weren't going to name our daughter Jezebel uh, or, you know, 
Ahab, our boy Ahab, or anything like that. We were going to try to find good characters in the Bible and then name our children after them. But then there was a second very important criteria, and that was their first name had to be one syllable. So it had to be a Bible name, and it had to be one syllable. The reason for it is uh, we knew that we were going to be yelling after our children. At the time we had all of our children, we were in a, uh, in a church in California that had a pretty large campus, and after church, these kids would go off and uh, run and play with their friends, and there was a playground way at the other end of the campus, and, and so we knew we were going to be yelling their names that it was time to go or, or please stop, and we just didn't want to have a very long name with a million symbol, syllables uh, to get through. Now, the longest name in the Bible is, anybody know? It's, uh, it was Isaiah had a son, the prophet Isaiah, he had a son, and in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 1 records his name, Meher Shalahazbaz. I don't even think I'm saying that right. There's too many syllables there. <laughs> There's just, like, can you imagine yelling that and, and hoping your, your kid, hey, Malahazbaz, come here. You can't even remember how to say the whole name, the longest name in the Bible. Now, I've shared this before also, but I'm also very thankful for my name. Uh, you see, my first name is Eric, and I'm glad that it is. See, my, when my parents were deciding what to name me, they had a disagreement. My mom wanted to name me Eric. She liked that name. My dad wanted to name me something else. He wanted to name me Clarence. Now, now, no disrespect to any Clarences out there who may be watching online, uh, but I'm really glad and thankful that my mom won that argument <laughs> and that I'm not Clarence Johnson here today, but I'm Eric Johnson instead. Then when Julie and I were dating, uh, this whole thing came up in conversation one day, and, and she shared with me something very similar. You see, someone in her family just wanted her, her name to not be Julie, but to be Penelope. So can you imagine this morning Clarence and Penelope Johnson as, you know, your pastor and wife? Um, so I'm glad that uh, it's actually Eric and Julie Johnson. Now, names are important, but praise the Lord, there's no name more important than the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter declares the value of the name of Jesus. To get really the context of Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, we actually need to go back in time a little bit to Acts chapter number 3 and find out what happened there. And in chapter 3, we find the instance uh, when a lame man was healed uh, by the power of God. And let's pick it up in chapter 3 and verse number 1, uh, just by way of kind of understanding where this is and what happened before Peter said chapter 4 verse 12. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So there was this lame man there at the entrance of the temple, and it was like an everyday occurrence for him to go and sit there and, 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 and ask for money and and, uh, you know, people kind of knew him there, and that's just where he hung out. Well, verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. He said, alms for the poor. Uh, do you have any money to spare? 
Well, verse 4, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. He said, Oh, cool, what are you going to give me? Uh, and uh, he was assuming it was money, but they were about to give him something far greater than money. In verse number uh, 6, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately, the Bible says, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So this guy who could not walk, uh, and we come to find out that he was over the age of 40 years old in the context here, For 40 years, this guy could not walk. And all of a sudden, Peter comes along and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so he does. Verse number 8, he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. This was a a special thing. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. This was not something he was supposed to be able to do, but now, because of the name of Christ and the power in that name, he is able to do that. Well, verse number 11, it says, And as a lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. This created a major scene. You know, when you're at a restaurant, you kind of don't want a big scene. We went to... uh, a restaurant on uh, Thursday night to celebrate Mark and Luke's birthday. And you know, when you go to a birthday uh, dinner and, you know, it's, you're hoping that the rest of the table doesn't announce anything to the waitress. Well, we were going to totally embarrass our boys, absolutely. So we told them a couple times and they made sure that they did the big, you know, uh, getting everybody together and, 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 and making a big scene and uh, drawing all kinds of attention. Well, in this scenario here, there was a tremendous, they made a tremendous scene with this man walking around who was known to be the guy, the lame guy at the gate, just sat there and asked for money. Now he's walking around praising God, and so they were greatly wondering. Verse 12, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Uh, People were looking at Peter like, man, you're some kind of like, you got some kind of superpower. You know, you're able to heal people. He said, don't look at me that way. Verse 13, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But she denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. That was kind of a gut punch there. In verse 15, and, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. He's saying, it's not me, it's, it's the name of Christ that's made this man strong. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot not through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. 
And then he goes and preaches to them in the rest of this uh, chapter. Repent ye therefore, be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you. And he continues on his message. Well, verse number, uh, chapter number four, let's move over there to verse one. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Remember the Sadducees? The, the main thing that we need to remember about the Sadducees was they didn't believe in the resurrection. And uh, as many preachers have joked throughout the centuries uh, regarding that, uh, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and that is why they were sad, you see. Uh, and that's a way to remember uh, what they believed about the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so verse 2, these Sadducees were, verse 2, grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And laid, they laid hands on them and put them on hold, in hold until the next day, for it was even now eventide. They said, you know what? Uh, it's getting too late. I'm going to miss my, uh, my television show that's about to come on. Let's... let's uh, let's put them in prison or put them in house arrest so that we can deal with this in the morning. And so they did that. And then, uh, but listen to this, verse number four. This is amazing. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about how many? 5,000. So one man was healed because of the power of the name of Christ. And 5,000 men, this isn't even counting women and children, uh, believed on Christ. This is right after, uh, this is, of course, chapter 3 takes place after chapter 2. I know, you've learned something today. Uh, But chapter 2 is when uh, the Holy Spirit begins to reside within believers and and has granted them power. And then they were one unit and they were all they had all things together and there was great fellowship and this is this is the first real miracle that took place after uh, chapter 2 well and then we get to verse number 5 so the morning comes and uh, then it's time to question peter and uh, interrogate him you know what that really allowed him to do it allowed him to preach again <laughs> he's like i'm going to take this opportunity and preach the gospel and he does that And he ends with verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And he he wanted to mention too in verse number 10, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, this is is how he was uh, made whole. This is how he was healed, through the name of Christ. So Peter here uh, talks about the importance and the value of the name of Christ. And in verse number 12, uh, he points out three very simple truths about the name of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to share them with you this morning. First of all, uh, he mentions that Jesus is the only name. He's not just a name whereby people must be saved. He is the only name whereby people must be saved. In verse number 10, he says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the one. And uh, back in chapter 3, in verse number uh, 6, when he looks at the lame man, he says, "Uh, I don't have silver and gold. I don't have any money to give you, but but what I do have I want to give you, and that is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Uh, There's only one name. 
Verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven. Uh, Jesus is the only name. Look, friend, there is only one name that can save you and can help you spiritually rise up and walk. There's only one name that can do that. It's not the name of Muhammad, because Muhammad cannot save you. It's not the name of Buddha, because Buddha cannot save you. It's not the name of Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion, because Joseph Smith cannot save you. It's not the name of Charles Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness uh, cult, uh, because Charles Russell cannot save you. It's not the name Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of the Christian Scientology cult. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy cannot save you. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. She cannot save you. It's not Pastor Eric Johnson, because Pastor Eric Johnson cannot save you. As much as I wish I could, I can't. Look, Pope Francis cannot save you. You cannot save yourself because you, like me, are dead in your sins and completely without hope on our own. We have offended a holy and righteous God and we stand deserving of His wrath and His justice. So we cannot save ourselves. So then what name can save us? It is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is the only name that can save. It was Jesus who said this in John chapter 14 and verse number 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one name that can save, and that is the name of Jesus. Why? Because there's only one solution to our greatest problem, and it's not working harder, not more religion. It's Jesus. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us a financial advisor. But, but since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior in the, version, in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 45 and verse number 5 says this, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Jesus is the only name. Why is Jesus the only name that can save? Well, first of all, because God says so. And that's enough right there. But also because Jesus was the only one who took my place on the cross of Calvary to be the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the entire world. No one else did that. A church couldn't do that. A religion couldn't do that. Only Jesus could do that. It was also because Jesus was the only one who rose from the dead on the third day by His own power. No one else could do that. And no one else has done that before or since. Jesus is the only name, and Jesus will be the only name that one day everyone who has ever lived will bow down and confess. Philippians 2 and verse number 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's been talk this week about uh, kneeling at the uh, national anthem. Telling you what, one day everyone is going to kneel at some time, and it's going to be not to a flag, not to some uh, racial uh, issue. It's going to be to the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone's going to bow. There's going to be no controversy at that point. There's going to be no drama. It's going to happen. And they're going to confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and Lord of all. John Dyer, a Welsh poet and pastor from the 1700s, once wrote this. A man may go go to heaven without health. He may go to heaven without riches, without honors, without learning, without friends, but he can never go there without Christ. Today our world is filled with people who are seeking some other way to God other than the one found in the blood of Jesus and in His precious name. But all such efforts are doomed to failure because Jesus is the only way, He's the only name whereby we can be saved. So Jesus is the only name that, and that's what Peter was saying here, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven. He's the only name. But I want us to see secondly this morning that Jesus is the offered name. I like this in verse number 12. For there is none other, none other name under heaven given among men. Aren't you glad that he was given among men? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Praise the Lord that He was given among men. John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, He offered this name to the entire world. It was given uh, for all men. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, He, Jesus, is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins or the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And just in this series, this Must of the Master series alone, we've we've seen several different types of people that Jesus came for. Remember Jesus came for the religious man when he told Nicodemus, which who, who, by the way, was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. So he came for a religious man when he told him he must be born again. Jesus came for the wealthy man and the sinner when he invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house for some dinner. Jesus came for the demon-possessed people when he healed Mary Magdalene. Jesus came for the Samaritan woman to show that he came for everyone despite their past and their pedigree. It didn't matter what color of skin people had or what nationality they were, Jesus came for them. Jesus came for all of us. He came for the moral, religious man. He came for the wealthy. He came with those with a messed up past. He came for those who were despised by society because Jesus came for all men. He was, Jesus is the offered name and he was offered to all men. He wasn't just given for all men though, friend. He was given for you too. Since you're part of the world and since you live here in this world, Jesus came for you, and he was offered for you. Have you received the gift of eternal life by believing on him? 
He came for you. So Jesus is the offered name, but then thirdly, I want us to see that Jesus is the optional name. Now that sounds kind of different from what we've just talked about, a little contradictory. It's, it's not. Here's what I mean by that. We've already established that Jesus is the one and only name whereby we can be saved. There's no other options in that regard. And so there's no other name for salvation. God, uh, while that's true, God doesn't force anyone to be saved. Now in theology regarding salvation, there are two schools of thought, two main thoughts regarding salvation. And this is going to be a little bit of a theology lesson for us this morning. So we'll have to put our theological thinking caps on as we go through this particular thought. Again, in theology, there's two main thoughts regarding salvation. The sovereignty of God or the free will of man to choose. Which one is it? Now, there's no question that the Bible teaches the sovereign election of God and that he knows who will believe on Christ. Consider a couple of these scriptures uh, with me this morning. Ephesians 1 and verses 4 and 5. You can jot these down, look them up later if you wish. But Ephesians 4 verses 1 and 4, or chapter 1 verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we see here that God hath chosen us before creation, before God said, let there be light, before God said, uh, uh, we're going to create man in our own image, before God created the trees and the, um, all that he created, before God did all that, he knew and he has chosen me to be saved. 1 Peter 1 and verse, chapter 1, verse 1. So 1 Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout the different areas there, he said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God knew that I would be saved. And he elected me. If, if he didn't know who was going to be saved before they got saved, then he wouldn't really be God, now would he? We spoke a couple Wednesday nights ago about the omniscience of God and that he knows all, and that includes who will come to the knowledge of the truth. Isaiah 46 and verse number 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. See, the Lord knows the end already. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So God does what he wills. But the Bible also teaches the free will of man to choose. So yes, he does know who's going to be saved, but he also gives us a free choice, a free will in the matter. 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. 1 John 4, 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And 
course, John 3.16 is one of the uh, more popular verses to use in this scenario. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So friend, really, according to the Bible, it's not either or when it comes to uh, the sovereign election of God uh, or the free will of man to choose. It's not either or, it's actually both. It's actually two sides of the same coin. It says one preacher described it as a sign on the entrance to heaven that says, whosoever will, let him come in. But then on the other side of that entrance, there's another side that says, I have chosen you from, the, from before the foundation of the world. You see, we don't really know who God has chosen. We don't know that. God does. See, God has given us a choice. Indeed, He has. The free will to believe on Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins and receive eternal life. He's given you that choice. But He's also given you the choice to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and go to a place, a real place called hell that does indeed exist and pay the price for your sin for all of eternity. The decision is yours. Now, He knows what decision you're going to make, but He's given you the choice. So today, what will your choice be? Will you choose to place your faith in Him and Him alone? There's no other way to be saved. Verse 12, there's salvation in no other. There's none other name given under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name. If you want to be saved, you've got to go through the name of Christ. If you don't want to be saved, it doesn't matter what name you go with. The great thing is it's optional. You do have a choice. What choice will you make? But then for those of us who have made the greatest choice of our entire lives to believe on Christ, there's one more verse I want to share with you this morning before we uh, wrap it up. You see, once we believe on Christ, we carry His name with us wherever we go. If you would turn your Bibles very briefly this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's look in verse number 19. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Aren't you glad that He knows who belongs to Him? And if you belong to Him this morning, He knows that you do. He knows that you're His child. He knows that He has bought you with the price. It says in, in the next part of that verse, and <laughs> let everyone that nameth the name of Christ. And then the last three words of that verse says, depart from iniquity. If you and I name the name of Christ, if we bear his name, and if you're a believer, that's you, that's me. The Bible says, let us then depart from iniquity. Let us not remain in iniquity. 
I'm hoping that many of us during this whole COVID-19 situation, we were able to take spiritual inventory and do some spiritual uh, spring cleaning. We were able to look at our lives and say, okay, what, what, what's a weight in my life that I should get rid of? Or maybe what's a sin in my life that's been easily besetting me? Let's get rid of this. Let's take this time to do some spiritual house cleaning. I was reminded of a, a passage in Isaiah. Okay, I said that was the last verse. Okay, it's not good to lie in church, but I just thought of another one. So I changed my mind. So if you turn to Isaiah chapter number 1, I just want to show you this, uh, this passage. Um, I heard it last night and wanted to share it with you this morning in, re- in regards to this. Isaiah chapter 1, and uh, it was in relation to where we're at as a country. Uh, verse, verse number 3. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Isaiah is saying, look, you know, an animal knows who his owner is, but but the nation of Israel at this point forgot the fact that God was their master, that God was their king, that God was uh, the one in charge. They they forgot that. Verse 4, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Well, doesn't that kind of describe America in 2020? Sinful nation where abortions continue to happen, where our streets are uh, being looted and riots are happening and violence is in the streets. This is a pretty good explanation for that. Well, What's our response to that? If you uh, go here to verse number 16, Isaiah 1 and verse 16. It says, wash you, make you clean. Oh, what about the people out there that are causing all the problems? Don't they need to clean up their lives? They're the dirty ones. No. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings. Not their doings. Your doings that are wrong. From before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless and plead for the widow. Make sure your lives are clean and then you can be in a place where you can actually help and do some good. Come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, though they, uh, shall, they, though they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And then verse number 19, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. It could be that God has brought us as a nation to this point to see what God's people are going to do. Are we going to hang on to our pet little sins and our pet rebellion? Are we going to do that? We're going to just kind of, we just want life to get back to normal, friend. Normal is what got us here. The lives we lived is what led our nation to this point. 
So it's time for us to take real spiritual inventory of our lives, make some real change in our lives, not to keep going the way we always did. I can still go to church and soothe my conscience and, 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 and live however I want away from church. No! It's time for us to wash, to make us clean, to put away the evil of our doings from before God's eyes and ceasing to do evil. It's time to do that. And if we fail to do that, friend, verse 20, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. Don't be shocked and don't blame everyone else when our country goes down the tubes because it'll be my fault, our fault, if we choose to rebel. But we have a choice in verse 19. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I hope that that's us. I hope that we will be obedient and that we will be willing to do what 2 Timothy 2.19 says. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What iniquity are you hanging on to and it's time to depart from? I'm not even going to try to name it. I'll let the Holy Spirit name it in your heart. Whatever it is, depart from it. Get rid of it. We need to turn from our uh, wicked ways as we mentioned last Sunday morning because we name the name of Christ. You say, I thought this was a salvation message. It is. <laughs> it's also a message for those of us who bear his name. We better bear his name well in this world. As people know us as believers at work in our neighborhoods and our communities and where we go, I hope that they have a good picture of Jesus Christ because of your life, because of mine. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us so that we can look appropriately unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There is no other name whereby we could be saved. And once we have been saved, we better make sure we're bearing his name well. We're departing from things that would put his name in the mud. We don't want to give Jesus a black eye because of our lives. We want to make sure that we're representing him well because his name is above all names. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for...